Our scripture reading is from Romans 11, 33 through 12, 2. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him? that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join with me in prayer. Father, again, we, in prayer, um, consciously turn our minds and our hearts towards you. Um, As we were reminded last week, um, faith is not just something that is a stopgap that we need sometimes. It is the very way we are supposed to live in this world in dependence upon you. And so now we look to you in dependence, asking, um, Lord, that whatever you would have us hear, that you enable us to hear as you speak to us this morning in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're keeping track, you might have wondered if I made a mistake. We were in chapter 4 last week, and now suddenly we're in chapter 12, and you're like, what's happened? There's some pretty important stuff between chapter 4 and 12. Well, when I was in college, you know, eons ago, um, one of the things that I was taught was that sometimes if you really want to understand an argument. Maybe it's, it's a, a dense book or, or it's even an essay. One of the best things you can do is go to the very end and to look at the conclusion, to see where all of this is taking you with the author. That way, once you know where this is taking you, you can actually have a sense of what these different arguments are doing and, and what their purpose is. And, and I would like for us, and this is what we'll be doing over the next few weeks, to do that and to spend some time during the season of Lent to kind of move to the conclusion of Romans and try to understand where this is all going. If you have um, been with us in the series of Romans, perhaps you've noticed something. That is, through the first chapters of Romans, we've gotten the first four chapters, there's been pretty much no commandments, no direct instructions whatsoever. Paul is, is telling a story. He's laying out the gospel, and that will continue. Chapter after chapter, he's going to try to say this is what's real. This is what it all means. And then after kind of laying this out for 11 chapters, it's like he takes a breath and he says, okay now, let me tell you what this means for you. Perhaps you even noticed that when Mackenzie was reading it. After this, this song of praise and this amen, right after that, Paul says, I appeal to you Therefore, brothers, by the mercies 
of God. He slows things down because he's saying, here is where this is taking us. Here is, in some ways, the goal, the trajectory that all of what I've been telling you, this is how you are to respond. How? Present your bodies as a sacrifice to God. If we understand Romans, if we are reading the first 11 chapters right, if we start really kind of internalizing it, the idea is that by the time we get to chapter 12, when we hear this instruction, we'll go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Of course that's what I want to do. Of course I want to present my body as a sacrifice to God because of everything that's said, I understand, yes, this is what I should do. And so this is what I want us to be thinking about for a while. There is there's so much here that's worth considering that we'll be spending between now and Good Friday just kind of considering what this means. And this morning, I actually just want to focus on that very simple command. There's like the surrounding verses that we're going to be considering, but this command to present our bodies as a sacrifice. There's something actually extraordinary in this command when we understand it correctly. Because what it is, is an invitation for you and for me to enjoy communion with God. Now, to understand that, we're going to have to spend some time talking about sacrifices. And don't worry, it will be fun. Um, you might have a hard time believing that because um, if, you, if you've ever tried reading through the Bible and you've just decided, I'm going to start with Genesis and just kind of power through it, it starts off pretty well. Like, I mean, Genesis has got a lot of cool stuff with Abraham and Joseph and all of that, and, and, you know, the flood, and then you get to Exodus, and it's like the fireworks. You've got the ten plagues you've got through the Red Sea, and then it starts slowing down a little bit when the tabernacle is being built, and then you hit Leviticus. And it comes to like the screeching halt as you hear about sacrifice after sacrifice. But what I want to tell you is actually Leviticus is an amazing book. And this section about the sacrifices actually is extraordinarily profound. Because the whole point of the sacrificial system that God gives is to teach Israel and shape them in the way that they can have a relationship with him. The sacrifices are all about relating to God. Some of the sacrifices are dealing with the obstacles to the relationship, the ways that people have sinned and wronged and their guilt, and they need to be cleansed. And some of the sacrifices deal with that cleansing so that they're pure in God's sight. One of the sacrifices is essentially a meal. There's a sense almost that symbolically God and humanity is eating together. It's a form of expressing relationship. But the most central sacrifice, the one that is repeated the most, the one that is performed the most, is a sacrifice that is simply known as the sacrifice that is the burnt offering. And what that sacrifice is about is consecration. Now, let me, let me kind of take you through what, what happens with the burnt offering sacrifice. It starts with a man, and usually it would be a man, either a priest representing the people or a father representing his household. A man taking an animal from his flock. And it couldn't just be any animal. It couldn't be an animal that just happened to die. So great, we'll sacrifice it. It has to be living. It has to be an animal that doesn't have any flaw or blemishes or defect. It has to be whole to be brought to God. And, and the man will bring this, this bull or this sheep before God, before the tabernacle or the temple, symbolically in God's presence. And the first thing that the, the, the worshiper is supposed to do is to put his hand on the head 
of the animal and just place it there for a moment. And that's significant because what that is saying is this animal is a representative. In some ways, this animal is standing in for me if I'm the worshiper so that whatever happens to the animal is kind of symbolically happening to me, the worshiper. So then after he places his hand on the head of the animal, he takes a knife and he slaughters the animal that's his own. And then the priest will take the slaughtered animal, will take the blood and, and put the blood on the altar where it's about to be offered as a, as a cleansing of the altar from sin. And then this entire animal, after it's chopped up so it can fit, the entire animal is put upon the altar and it is burned and it keeps on being burnt until it's completely burnt so that there is everything in some ways becomes symbolically the smoke that rises up towards heaven and and symbolically, we're supposed to understand it's all being kind of transformed so that it can come into the presence of God. And we're told that it's a pleasing aroma to God. That's, that's the, the burnt offering process. And what is clear throughout Scripture is that this whole ritual is not in any way really about the animal itself. God says, I have animal on a thousand hills. I have cattle wherever I go. I don't need another bull. It's not about giving an animal. It's about, symbolically, the worshiper offering himself or the group of people offering themselves. That's why you put your hand on the animal. It is you who, in some ways, is symbolically being slaughtered. There is, on one hand, a saying, I put to death my former way. My, my former existence is burnt on the altar. There is, you might say, a renunciation of the life apart from God. But then there's also a dedication to saying, all that I am, I symbolically in this animal give to you that it might rise up before you, that everything that is mine is now yours, including myself. And we see this conclusion that God, as, as it rises up to God, takes delight. It is... It is a way that worshipers can practice something about the relationship with God, a form of consecrating themselves. And that God appointed this as, in some ways, the central of the offering says something quite profound. It's not only the case that God, in His relationship with us, wants to make sure that the sin is removed. That's important. As we saw last week, or two weeks ago, when we saw that God is a God who hates sin, who in His justice will, will, will not rest until, ang his, until sin is dealt with, we know that our sin needs to be cleansed. That is one piece of it, but that is not enough. If that is all that God was intent on doing with sacrifices, what that would leave us with is essentially a peace treaty where God says He won't be angry with us anymore and He'll allow us to kind of be as we are. But God, in His relationship with us, wants more than an impersonal truce. He wants something far more intimate. God desires a relationship where He gives of Himself to us, and we enjoy, receive all that He has to give. And in response, we give of ourselves to Him, and we experience to our wonder Him taking delight in us. What God desires us to enjoy with Him is communion. 
Now, I realize communion is kind of a churchy word. Usually, the only time we actually will even use it is when we're talking about the Lord's Supper. But it's actually, it's actually way more practical than that because it's talking about a central element of good relationships. Communion just has the idea of mutual self-giving, where both people in a relationship give of themselves to the other, and then they receive from the other person what they have to give. And in that giving and receiving, they are brought closer to each other. That's, that's what communion is. And if you think about it, it's at the heart of any kind of intimacy. Any, any loving relationship that is healthy has this element. So if you think about within a marriage, so much of a marriage is both members learning to give of themselves to the other, to, to sometimes sacrifice their own personal desires because we want to, to do maybe not what we want in the moment, but because we know if we make the sacrifice, it will be good for our spouse. There's that kind of giving. And there's also the giving of just vulnerability, of, of sharing who we are in kind of our raw, unprotected self. And as we give, and then the other person receives with delight, and then as our, as our partner gives of, of herself, and we receive with delight, that, that is what builds a healthy marriage. That is communion. It happens with a parent-child in a different way, but it still happens. When a child is born, they are just literally put into our hands. Whether willing or not, they are given to us. And as they grow up, they, they grow into this reality of giving themselves to their parents, trusting their parents, being very transparent with their parents about everything that they feel, learning over time to obey their parents. There is a self-giving that is involved. And meanwhile, the parents, when we are acting the way we are most supposed to, we, we give up sleep, we give up financial things, we give up freedoms throughout the day, we give up so much because we long to see our children grow and do well. We give of ourselves and they receive, they give of themselves and we receive. That's communion. And one of the most extraordinary realities in this universe is that our Creator desires us to have communion with Him. In the very beginning, God gave. He, he gave us life. He gave us this world filled with the beauty and wisdom that reflects Him. He gave us Himself. And in the beginning, when we were in Eden, we received all of this with joy, and we gave ourselves back to Him in, in service and trust and, and worship, and He Wonder of wonders, though he doesn't need anything from us, he took delight in our giving to him. That is how this world was made. That was what we were made for. We were made for communion with God. And that is exactly what was lost when we decided that we preferred to be independent. When we turned away from God, we turned towards a life of godlessness, a life without light, a life without life, a life of darkness and death. We broke our relationship with the one we were made for, and ever since, whether we've been able to name it rightly or not, there has been an ache within us. There has been a hunger, a longing, a need for the relationship that we have destroyed. And ever since, there has been kind of this haunting question that has permeated the universe. Is there a way back? 
Is there a way back to the communion that we were meant for? And what from the very beginning God has said again and again is yes. Yes, because I will bring you back. Yes, because I am still committed for you to have communion with me. And one of the ways he shows that is through the sacrifices. With this sacrificial system that we were talking before, God was telling Israel, this is the relationship that I am intending for you. I am intending a relationship where your sins are washed away. I am intending a relationship for you where you once again can give yourself to me and I will take delight and we can feast together. Every time these sacrifices were performed, they were reminded of the hope of God's intent for them. And yet every time these sacrifices were performed, they were also reminded that it was not yet. Because as much as we, as we want to talk about the symbolism, offering an animal is not the same thing as offering yourself. And the problem is the worshiper couldn't. Because the worshiper was not living and complete. The worshiper was spiritually dead and, and corrupted by sin, not worthy of being offered to God. And the worshiper could not break with their former ways. The only way that they could die to self was just simply to die. And so what the worshiper was left with, what the Israelites day after day and year after year was left with, was offering up a stopgap a shadow, an anticipation where these animals were given again and again, and the fact that they were repeated again and again reminded them that it is not yet possible, that there is still something they are waiting for, for them to experience the relationship and the communion with God that they've always been created to experience. And in Romans, and now finally we're getting back to Romans, the chapters 1 through 11, the story that Paul is telling is in some ways simply this. What was impossible before because of sin is now possible through Jesus. Every single one of the sacrifices pointed forward to Christ. So Jesus, as we saw two weeks ago, he is the sacrifice that, that turns away the wrath of God, that deals with all of our guilt and cleanses us from sin. But not only that, we see elsewhere that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the one by whom we are able to eat and drink with God himself. And Jesus, importantly, is the, the true and perfect burnt offering. On the cross, he entirely gave of himself to God, turning away. He, he died, we're told, to sin on our behalf. And he surrendered himself to God, completely giving himself over to God, a perfect, spotless lamb on our behalf. And what that means now is because of what Jesus has done and because we are in Jesus, we now are able to take hold of the relationship that we were always meant for. And this, this is where chapters 1 through 11 takes us in 12 verse 1, where he says, Therefore, in view of all that I said, in view of the mercies of God and all that he's done, brothers, I exhort you, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, 
This is the thing that if you understand what God has done and the glory of what is before you and the privilege he has for you, you would say, of course, this is what I will do. I will offer my body as a sacrifice because here's the thing. No longer in Jesus are we, are we corrupted in God's sight. No longer are we dead. But, but do you notice in chapter 12, it talks about we are living and we are holy. And as we give ourselves to God, he is delighted. And what's more, now, now we are able to break with that former way, the way of sin, the way of death, because we are told that in Jesus we have been crucified, that the old self is done away with on the cross. We can surrender our old self and allow ourselves to be changed and to be brought into this new life of righteousness. We can symbolically put ourselves on the altar and know that there is life on the other side. In every way that Jesus has allowed us to now, we can give ourselves in the way that the sacrifice always pointed to. And that, that is where Romans is taking us. That is actually where the gospel is taking us. If you want to know, if you have really understood the gospel, and if it really has gotten inside of you and changed you, then you will, then the way to kind of manifest that is if it becomes clear to you, yes, of course, I want to give myself to God. If you wonder why Paul says, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, it's not because he's saying, give your bodies, keep your soul. It's it's the idea that our body is everything that we have to give. Right? The body is, is how we interact with the world. Right? The body is where we have our energy that we can spend on God or something else. The body is where we experience the difficulties of sacrifice. The body is the way we act and make choices. The body is what symbolizes all that we have and all that we are. And a Christian who has come to understand the gospel as Paul speaks of it. A Christian who has truly become someone who has internalized what God has done is someone who more and more will learn to say and want to say, all that I am, all that I have, I give to you. Because in this act of consecration, we are taking hold of something extraordinary. We are entering into that communion where God, having given himself to us, we take hold of it and we respond and give ourselves to God and he takes delight and there is joy and there is intimacy. That is what you and I were made for. And if there's one thing that I want you to be leaving here this morning with is with that image that this is what the Christian life is like. This is what it is about. It is a joyful giving of self to God even as he gives himself to us. But I realize probably there's still kind of some abstractness about this. I've spent a lot of time talking about the sacrifice, but what does this actually look like in life, this idea of offering your body as a sacrifice to God? Well, that is actually something that we're going to be spending the next few weeks on, but I, let me just unpack this briefly using this sacrifice imagery to give this a little more definition as we, as we seek to kind of live into this. So we said before that the sacrifice kind of has, has two key elements to it. On one hand, there is the renunciation 
And that too is what we are saying when we're saying, I give myself to you. There is a first element of saying, I give up. I give myself over. Until until Jesus changes us, there is something that is fundamental, that is deep within us, this desire to say, I am in control of my life. My happiness is up to me. My protection is up to me. I need to control to make sure everything is okay. We, we feel it when we experience anxiety. There's like this tight fist that's holding on to things within us. And, and part of offering ourselves is this act of letting go. It's, it's putting to death the way of control. It's putting on the altar our entire life that we have erected independently of God It is, simply put, surrender. There is a renunciation. And then there is also a dedication, a a giving over. Not only is there a death, but there is a surrendering to God. All that I have, all that I am, I give to you. That is, every every time we do the Heidelberg Catechism, what is it we confess? I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, and life and undeath to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice involves both a surrender, but also a giving over and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And what we discover as we seek to live into this is that what God calls us to do as we seek to worship Him is to live a life of love. Again and again, that's what we see when when God says, you want to serve me, you want to give yourself to me, here's what I'm calling you to, to love what I have loved. And so this is what we're talking about when we're saying offering our bodies is a living sacrifice. It it is a surrendering of the control, a, a turning away from the former way. It is the giving ourselves to God and knowing that God calls us, therefore, to love others. And if you want a picture of what that looks like, you just need to look at the cross. Jesus is the one true perfect worshiper, and how does he do it? He surrenders control of everything on the cross to God, surrendering even his spirits to God. And as he is giving himself to God, what is he doing in the service of God to do? He is doing it to love us. This is what it looks like. We are told in Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just think of the cross. And if that sounds daunting, um, scary, difficult, painful, well, we have to be honest. The answer is yes, it is all of those things. Because the reality is our former way of life goes very, very deep. We have organized our lives around control, around protecting ourselves from suffering, around making sure we're comfortable, and, and, and letting that go and, and learning a different way, it can sometimes feel like you're pulling a sled up a hill that's carrying an elephant. It just feels like there's so much resistance within you. And it's not just even the big things. I'm not talking about like, you know, if God says, sell all you have, give to the poor. I'm talking about the really small things where this, this life of giving of ourselves to God can, can really feel difficult. Uh, 
one of, I think a pastor's job is to embarrass himself, so I will do it once again here. Like, I think of for me, myself, sometimes if I come home, if I had a long day, occasionally, not often, but occasionally I'll come home and the kitchen is really messy. And, and there will be sometimes within me this kind of internal lawyer that will say, it's not your turn. It's supposed to be somebody else's. And I will think about just kind of like waiting and like whenever the person who's supposed to do it comes in, just kind of like... And then there's another version, like, you know, shoulder, you know, shoulder angels, you know, whatever, that will say, um, you know, Jennifer has had an even harder day than you, and it's not necessarily clear whose turn it is, and, and what would be really loving and really good is for you to just quit complaining in your heart and to clean the kitchen. Now, as I said, this is an embarrassingly dumb example. But I wonder if you know at all what that's like, that feeling in the moment of just having to say no to this person within you that wants to hold on and just kind of surrender yourself to the life of love that you know is what God wants of you. That's what it's like to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And there is resistance But lest you be discouraged by that reality, here's what you need to know. This is still what you are becoming, whether it feels counterintuitive and counter to you or not. You in Jesus already are someone who loves. You just haven't yet fully realized that yet. And though there feels like resistance, over time, day after day, year after year, more and more you will become that person who is able to love God and love others in the way that you are intended to because this is what God is committed to doing. So yes, there is difficulty, but there is hope and there is confidence. But that's not really the only part, that when we're talking about offering your body as a sacrifice, that makes it difficult. Because even if you are the perfectly loving person, there still is pain involved in this. And we know this because the perfectly loving person loved the world perfectly and experienced enormous pain. Because the reality is, When God is calling us as we love him to love others, he's calling us to love what is broken and sinful and can hurt. And so as we offer ourselves to God and he sends us in love for others, we are exposing ourselves by loving to pain. And you know this. When you choose to hope in someone, you are exposing yourself to disappointment. When you're choosing to give, You're exposing yourself to be taken advantage of. However it is that you seek to trust, you are exposing yourself to being betrayed. And while oftentimes that's not what happens, oftentimes there are good things as we seek to love, there are times that it will be extraordinarily painful, and then in those moments, you're called to forgive. And, and, and in some ways, almost an extreme, extreme expression of this is as we are seeking to love the world, the single most loving thing we can do, speaking of Jesus, is also the thing that in times past people have been imprisoned for, and in times present we might be ridiculed for. To seek to love as God has called us to love is to open ourselves up to pain, and it can feel like a kind of death. And in some ways, it is. It's the way of the cross. 
But you know, there's an interesting thing when you look in the New Testament as you see people who are living out this way of love and experiencing hurt. They are not a bunch of, of wretched, miserable people. When Paul is in prison, precisely because he's seeking to love others by speaking of Jesus, what does he say? I rejoice. You know why? Because I know Jesus. Or in 1 Peter, when Peter is talking to a church that is suffering, as they are seeking to worship God, they are offering their bodies as a living sacrifice, and they are experiencing the brunt of it, he says, though you suffer right now, you rejoice with inexpressible joy. Why? Because they are experiencing communion with God. Yes, this is the way of the cross. Yes, this is the way that is difficult. But yes, this is the way of joy because it is the way of communion with God and is the way of hope because in the future, as Paul says, I do not consider our present sufferings worthy of being compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. Yes, offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God in this moment is scary and will involve pain but it is the way of joy and it is the way of life. And it is the way that we will be considering together over the next few weeks. But right now, what I want us to do, as we always do, is to turn to God in confession and, um, and asking for forgiveness, knowing that this is one of the chief ways that we are able to offer ourselves to God. Naming ourselves, naming our sin, we are once again seeking to put to death the old way and turning towards God, we are seeking to give ourselves to Him. So I invite you to do that with me. We're going to do it a little bit differently during this time of Lent. We're going to be using um, a prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin, and then there will be a time of silent prayer to conclude it. Um, so would you join with me as we confess our sins together. Gracious God, as we consider your Son, we see plainly that we have fallen short of the glory you intended for us. Have mercy and forgive us. You have given your Son and poured out your Spirit, yet we fail to return your love with all our heart. Have mercy and change us. Your glorious Son laid down His life for us, and yet too often we are selfish and proud, ignoring You and neglecting others. Have mercy and cleanse us. Your Son entrusted Himself to You unto death, and yet we are often overwhelmed by self-pity, fear, and worry. Have mercy and deliver us. In your son's death and resurrection, we are given a sure hope and secure love. Yet we still follow the false hopes and desires of this world. Have mercy and renew us. Let's take some time in silent prayer.